Mark, should we let him in on this party? Play it. Now, my guess is that when this started, there was sort of a spectrum of thoughts running through all of your guys' minds. On this side, he's finally snapped. <laughs> Moving along the continuum, somebody tell him this is a reformed college. We don't dance. A little further down the line, the six Pentecostals at Dort, it finally feels like home. <laughs> and somebody probably thought after a little while, that kind of looks like fun. You ever caught somebody driving by, looking in their living room window and they are vacuuming and they are getting down? Or the person you pull up beside at a red light who's just giving it to Taylor Swift on the radio. <laughs> I have a Tom Petty driving voice. He goes in on road trips and I just lose it and it is fun because nobody else is there. I have a Taylor Swift shower voice. And I have a Michael Jackson choreographed vacuuming routine. It's like there's a soundtrack to life. What if, what if you could get piped into your mind and into your soul and into your being a soundtrack of, of truth, something that would allow you to see and hear and call what is yet to come, to be able to have a vantage point the rest of the world doesn't see, like they're looking on and you've got this soundtrack playing within you that everybody else kind of wishes maybe over here that they had a little bit more of like a football coach. You know the one that's up in the booth that's calling down plays to the quarterback so that he can actually begin to dictate and move on the field and help people coordinate and be able to see things that everybody else can't see because he's getting the plays called in from above, like good plays, not like the ones Russell Wilson gets at the end of the game, like good plays. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't even fair. We all know and have read passages in Scripture that talks about the fact that God speaks to his people. But what if we more fully understood the soundtrack of truth that could be being piped into our souls if we were more deeply in communion with the Trinity? So that maybe to the rest of the world we looked a little bit odd at times, but deep inside we simply know that there is a song inside of us that we know and it resonates with our soul and we're moving at a whole nother level. This is the invitation of prayer, of the conversation with God. It's dancing with the Trinity. Not always so cold and put away and quiet and reserved. It's the voice of the Almighty, the one who holds all the secrets. He wants to tell us how to live what is yet to come and what all truth is. 
Too often in our Christian communities, we misunderstand the purpose of prayer. I still do it all the time. We'll get together in a meeting and we'll offer up our prayer that God would bless the work that we're about to do. And then we get done a meeting and we offer a closing prayer that God would bless the work that we just decided and we just had already accomplished. This is not prayer. This is not its intent. This is the way Oswald Chambers puts it. Prayer is not preparation for work. It is the work. Prayer is not a preparation for battle. It is the battle. Too often we treat prayer as the thing that's going to get us to the place so we can really be a great Christian. But prayer is what moves us deeper into the heart of God. Prayer is where he wants to speak with us. What if the prayers at the starts of our meeting never closed the word amen? Because there was an anticipation that God wasn't done speaking yet. Prayer is hard for us to accomplish, not only because it's often misunderstood, but because it's so hard to fit it in everything else that's going on. With some of the first mechanical clocks that were ever invented, their purpose was to set aside time in the life of a monk and how they would order their day and they would have time set aside for prayers. One of the first increments of time measured in rural France was the av, the amount of time it took you to recite a prayer. Time at one point in time was measured by increments of prayer. Most of us today talk about the very fact that we have a hard time fitting in prayer into the rest of the time and the things going on in our day. That which was created to serve prayer and the first clock towers that ever had them put in in steeples and churches would be the center of a community when the bells would ring out, it would call the people to worship and call the people to prayer. Time served acknowledgement of the glory of God. And too often now it enslaves us. We need to break free and just recapture again the importance and the freedom and the identity that's found in this time with God. But I still think that we're doing it wrong. Be honest with yourself. What do you anticipate to happen when you enter into a moment of prayer with the Lord? Too often I still encounter myself always coming with a laundry list of all the things that I really need or I really want. God has got to get on board with these things that I got going. I truly act. I thought about this for a long time this week. I truly act in my prayer life as if I believe God is somewhere behind me. That I'm running ahead, that maybe he's just not aware of all of this stuff, because there are some great things that you could be doing right now in my life and in the world, God. But let me tell you all about them. Now, I would never say that, say that, but my life and my practices say that. Prayer is not so much this time we set aside to tell God what he needs to know. And you've all thought this before about prayer and questioned even the purpose of it altogether. What in the world am I actually going to tell God in this time that he doesn't already know? So what am I supposed to be doing right now? I'm not informing him of anything. So what are we doing here? And why is this time so important? Some of you have probably heard this famous interview before with Mother Teresa about her prayer life. She was once asked about it. The interviewer asked, when you pray, what do you say to God? Mother Teresa replied, I don't talk, I simply listen. 
Believing he understood what she had just said, the interviewer next asked, "Uh, then what is it that God says to you when you pray? Mother Teresa replied, he also doesn't talk. He also simply listens. There was a long silence with the interviewer seeming a bit confused and not knowing what to ask next. Finally, Mother Teresa breaks the silence by saying, if you can't understand the meaning of what I've just said, I'm sorry, but there's no way I can explain it any better. I'm still pondering that. For someone who walked and knew with and knew the will of the Lord so closely, describing her prayer life as being made up of listening, only so that she too could be in a place where God was also listening. A connection and experience, which sounds really bizarre until you're actually in an intimate relationship. My wife has gone away for work these last four days. Came home late last night after the flights were delayed. The kids are all excited to see mom. There's a lot of things need to get picked up. Dad's not really slept very well. The kids have been fed like crap the last four days. The house is in a bit of disarray. Mom is home. As I was reflecting on our other relationships of life, you know what I long for most of all is to sit just on the same couch with her tonight when all the work is done and the kids are in bed and just be in the same space. Maybe read a book. Maybe watch TV. But for the people in the world that you are the closest to, silence isn't uncomfortable. It's the most peaceful, beautiful place to be. And as we grow in intimacy with God, we find the ability to sit in the silence that is just his presence. And it's good. And apparently he wants the same from us. So in this silence, this isn't us explaining to God what he needs to know. It's not trying to get him on board with us. In fact, it's a little bit different than that. I reread again this past week one of my favorite books ever. If you are trying to go deeper in this, you guys asked all the questions, right? So chapels this semester all built off the questions that you guys asked. One at the top of the list was, how do I hear God and know I'm making the right choices in life? That was near the top. So for all of you asking that question, if you have not read Hearing God's Voice by Henry and Richard Blackaby, the single best book I've ever read on it. These guys got it down. So, one of the things they say in in this book is this. Prayer is God's way of adjusting his people to him. It is not a time for us to ask God to adapt to our plans and desires. He loves us too much to do that. Prayer is this place where we can come and we should come and we have to come with expectation that God's desire is to change us. And if we are not coming to the presence of God with the expectation of being changed, then we have fundamentally misunderstood what the purpose of intimacy with him is. Because if I could have saved myself, I wouldn't have needed a God. I got all kinds of stuff that need fixing, and so I need him. And so I come to his presence, and I need to come to his presence, not to simply unload, but to be changed by him into who he made me to be. If you've wrestled with this before and have a hard time sitting still, if you're a good old-fashioned Kuyperian Christian like I am who likes to get in the world and get stuff done, I get a task list, I'm done a meeting, my first thought is not, I'm going to get on my knees and pray about this. My first thought is, let's get going. Let's do this stuff. Because I get stuff done. That's what I do. But prayer is also listening and being shaped by God, being adjusted by him. I love that word that they use. So I want to do a little exercise with you guys now. Instead of just talking about this, let's do this together. In just a minute, I'm going to put a passage up on the screen. What I want you to do 
is read through this. I'll set the timer. We'll take two minutes. Don't read through it once and then read through it again. Read through it as slow as you can. Just receive these words. Read them slow. Take a minute. Slow your breathing, your heart rate. Take two minutes as these words wash over you. We celebrate the scriptures because we believe that God has spoken and truth has been revealed. We don't just celebrate a doctrine of inspiration that believes that God once spoke. We celebrate a doctrine of inspiration that believes that God is still speaking. That God is still speaking through these ancient words to us again, but that God is still speaking because Jesus said the Spirit is going to be within you. And I love how he refers to them as the spirit of truth. He does it multiple times in these four chapters in the farewell discourse. That God's desire is to give one of the three persons of the Trinity to live inside of us and continue to reveal truth to us. Like the people who know the next play in the game before everybody else does. God desires his people to be ahead of the game. To lead the world and not simply to react to it. To give us wisdom beyond what we can come up with on ourselves. To make decisions that aren't simply based on fear or being able to manage our circumstances or the people around us in the world, but out of absolute courage and truth that supersedes the situation because he is a vantage point that not only transcends the situation, but transcends all of time. Prayer is the invitation to enter into that kind of knowledge and that kind of wisdom and that kind of God. It's not a cold calculation either. It's a warmth, inviting voice. 
Other passages in Scripture say that in these moments when we will be lost for our own voice, that the Spirit will give us one to speak. Prayer is a participation for us in the communion of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit within us speaking with the rest of the Godhead and we are in the middle and become the platform of a conversation of God within himself and God to the world through us. I think too many of us have sat in moments of silence believing that we have not heard God talk or have not heard God speak because we've been too influenced by the lies of the evil one and we believe that our sin has blocked God out entirely and we can't hear him or God wouldn't want to speak to us or that we're not good enough. And all of these lies that we've been told sit somehow like an invisible barrier between us and God and we have believed these lies. We look up and we can't see past them. The revelation of truth again and again invites us to point and poke through this thin veil of lies of the evil one that separate us from the goodness of God who's calling us forward and into him. This is why the scriptures ground us. This is where we hear doing exercises like this to take two minutes. Last week I had told you it's pretty hard to hear the best sermon of your life if you just simply don't go to church. Well, it's pretty hard to hear the truth of God that will sustain you through the day if we're not just putting his word back in front of us. Jesus said, I have so much more to even tell you. I walked with you disciples for three years. I've told you all these things about my Father. I've told you all these things about the Spirit who is to come. In fact, the next stage of history is actually going to be better for you when I'm gone. You think it's cool walking beside me? Wait until I live within you. And that's the promise. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth. Now, when we come across truth like this in scriptures, the Spirit reveals it to us. I still believe at the end of the day that there are four different types of people in the world who read their Bible. Number one, there's the angry atheist. It's all stupid. You're all a bunch of simple-minded little people who just really don't get it that a smart person in the world wouldn't listen to this rubbish. There's the indifferent agnostic who says, there's, there's, there's the truth in there. Um, Jesus was a smart guy. He's probably a wonderful person. Not so sure about this resurrection and miracle stuff, but okay. And then there's those who, who believe in God, have accepted salvation in Christ, and the Bible becomes this framework through which we see the world. It's the decision-making ability we get because we are in touch with the truths of God. It becomes a frame through which everything else makes sense. But I really do believe that there are those of us invited, not in some sort of hierarchical way, but just people who understand the heart of God and that the purpose of Scripture is not to create a frame through which to see everything, but a frame that we are invited to walk into and through. This isn't a story that we're reading that is a history lesson, and through that we deduce different principles and truths that now the church tries to live out of. That there is a frame that we are called to invite, invited to walk into and participate within. This story is not a story we read about somebody else. This is our story, the story of God within us. And he has so much more to say. And it's not done yet. And you are a key player in this. I did something a little bit out of my comfort zone this morning. And I sat down thinking, if I'm going to talk on this, I'm going to ask God, God, what do you want me to say? To these students, I'm listening. I mean, I do this in some way every time before I'm preaching, but in a, in a different and very bold way. Just, God, I want, I want words. I want your voice. What do you want me to say to them? And all I could hear was, tell them I'm thrilled with them. 
And tell him I'm not done with them. Tell him I haven't even scratched the surface yet. And they haven't of me. Don't settle. I'm not done yet. God is inviting each one of us further into his heart to not just look at the principles of Scripture and try to live out of them, reflecting upon them. Enter into them. For Jesus said they are entering into us in the presence of his Spirit. And if you've sat in silence before and wondered, well, I've tried, but I'm not hearing God's voice. Keep in mind that every biblical character who had a massive encounter with God often had that at the beginning of their relationship. And as time moved on, God's voice becomes much more subtle. Paul did get the Damascus Road experience. Moses did get a burning bush. But after that, God often revealed in much more subtle ways as they learned to listen to the Spirit of God within them in a new way. And we grow into these subtleties and this maturity as followers of Christ as well. I hear people all the time say, if God would just write it on the wall, what I'm supposed to do next, wouldn't that be wonderful? I never want to point out in that moment, you really don't want God to write it on the wall. He did that one time and it didn't go so well. (laughs) Belshazzar, you have not learned the lesson of your father. You have been measured on the scales and been found wanting. Your life and your kingdom will be divided. And he died before this midnight that night. Don't ever say, God, please write it on the wall. Because normally when we say that our posture is, I need a decision and I'm imposing my timetable and my wishes upon you. Prayer is about a full surrender. Sometimes God will give us a yes to something, but it's a slow yes. God reveals his timing, not in the ways that we want either. And sometimes God's apparent silence to us has to do with the fact that there is sin in our lives. Because sin is really a statement each time that, God, I know your truth, and I know what you want from me, but I have chosen something instead of you. And until we want to come clean with that and repent before God of that, then that stands in between us. Because God knows it, right? If I'm in a relationship and married to my wife, and she knows all the while I'm cheating on her, how much intimacy do we really have? We just never talk about it. She knows I'm cheating on her. I know I'm cheating on her. We just don't talk about it. That is a dysfunctional relationship, right? Our relationship with God, this is what repentance is for. Come clean, make it new. Remove the barriers that stand between us. Isaiah says it like this in chapter 59. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. And in particular, our relational sins with one another become an obstacle between us and God. Here's from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, not even something that you did to them, that they have something against you, you may actually be innocent in this situation. But he still says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. Have you ever heard a prayer like this right before the deacons take the offering in church? If anybody here has got some crap going down between you and somebody else, if you're harboring anger, bitterness, resentment, if you're holding a grudge on somebody, I don't want your dollars in the plate. I don't want your offering because I want you to be in close communion with me because that relationship will never be restored and things will not be made right. And we can't be everything I want to be for you unless we get this together. There are a lot of us here who've got broken relationships in our lives and we need to go wash somebody's feet. 
It is an obstacle between us and God. Because we've chosen that grudge to keep us in comfort more than we've chosen the belief and ability that he can change and make us new and create a resurrection out of a situation that we've already decided is a death that he can't heal. So my grudge and my anger keeps me safe and not my God. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, that's why Jesus says it like this when he teaches us how to pray. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. To the extent by which I have forgiven others, Father, forgive me. That's the call. That's a scary prayer. When I teach my kids to memorize and rattle off the Lord's Prayer, am I teaching them this principle embedded within it? Well, make it right. Prayer is this invitation into a participation in the community of God. Experience the Trinity. And this is a voice that we learn over time more clearly within us. But ask the Lord and he will reveal. He wants to speak. In the farewell discourse, listen to this last passage now from John 14. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. We please all rise. Just going to do a couple little things in prayer with you as we close together. Many of the ancient rabbis believed that even the name Yahweh for God was come up with with the sound of mimicking breathing itself. Yahweh. The sound of breath entering into us and out of us, a reminder of what it is that sustains us. With your eyes closed and in silence, take 10 deep breaths and breathe in a yeah and out a way. Spirit of truth, we know that it is you that lives within us. For this we have been promised. We acknowledge that we don't always trust you. We acknowledge that we don't know you well enough. Teach us to hear your prompts, to know your voice. We're infants at this, Lord. Thank you for your patience with us. 
And we ask now, in this time of silence, that you would reveal to us the places where we have put up obstacles between us and you because of sins that we've chosen before you. Show us what they are. Father, now lay on our minds and our hearts the names of those that we need to go and make right with. Father, make your voice within us in the presence of your spirit, not like that of a stranger, but of the oldest, of the oldest, most loved friend. Teach us to hear you and hear you right. And when someone asks us to pray, anxiety isn't our first reaction, but adoration invitation, your love, your welcoming arms, your grace, your resurrection, your whole being enveloping us, Yahweh, we breathe you in, keep us reminding, keep us reminded all the time that you're holding us together. You're making us new, and you're not done yet. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful day.